From the Heidelberg Catechism, we read together Lord's Day 28. How does the Lord's Supper signify and seal to you that you share in Christ's one sacrifice on the cross and in all his gifts? In this way, Christ has commanded me and all believers to eat of this broken bread and drink of this cup in remembrance of him. With this command, he gave these promises. First, as surely as I see with my eyes the bread of the Lord broken for me and the cup given to me, so surely was his body offered for me and his blood poured out for me on the cross. Second, as surely as I receive from the hand of the minister and taste with my mouth the bread and cup of the Lord as sure signs of Christ's body and blood, so surely does he himself nourish and refresh my soul to eternal life with his crucified body and shed blood. What does it mean to eat the crucified body of Christ and to drink his shed blood? First, to accept with a believing heart all the suffering and death of Christ, and so receive forgiveness of sins and life eternal. Second, to be united more and more to a sacred body through the Holy Spirit who lives both in Christ and in us. Therefore, although Christ is in heaven and we are on earth, yet we are flesh of his flesh and bone of his bones, and we forever live and are governed by one spirit, as the members of our body are by one soul. Where is Christ promised that he will nourish and refresh believers with his body and blood? As surely as they eat of this broken bread and drink of this cup, in the institution of the Lord's Supper, the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant to my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This promise is repeated by Paul where he says, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, hospitality is an important virtue. It was very important in the ancient Near East both for the people of God and for the surrounding nations, hospitality was considered a sacred duty. In those days, many people lived a nomadic lifestyle. Travel was seldom, if ever, for pleasure, but rather done out of necessity. A person never knew when he would be dependent on the hospitality of others. And thus, people provided bountifully for those who were traveling. A traveling stranger had a right to expect hospitable treatment. The host would provide a roof over his head, protection from danger, and food. As an example of this, just think of what Abraham did for the three visitors in Genesis 18. 
He washed their feet. He had Sarah bake bread. He slaughtered a tender calf. He took butter and milk and other food that was prepared, and he set it before them. No expense or labor was too great for the traveler. The Lord's people Israel was commanded to show hospitality to strangers. They were to love them and to treat them fairly. The reason that the Lord commanded this was that they had been sojourners in Egypt, and the Lord had delivered them from slavery there. As the Lord had treated them with grace and love and compassion, so they were to treat the strangers and sojourners who passed by or who came to dwell among them. Our hospitality for strangers only makes sense in light of God's prior hospitality to us. God has come to us in his Son, Jesus Christ, to invite us into his presence, that we might share in eternal fellowship with him. Hospitality is a metaphor for the love of God. For it's when we were estranged from God that he came to grant us his grace. It's while we were still sinners that Christ came to die for us. It's when we were still his enemies that God sent his son, that we might be reconciled to him through Christ's death. Hospitality is normally shown by sharing food, by sitting down to a meal together. Eating together breaks down barriers. It allows one to, to share fellowship. It's around the table that close bonds of friendship are developed. The Lord our God knows that. That's why he instituted feasts for his people, at which they could remember his boundless mercy and share in communion with him. In the Old Covenant, God instituted the Passover as a feast commemorating how he delivered them from slavery in Egypt. In the New Covenant, Christ instituted the Lord's Supper as a feast celebrating our rescue from sin and death. As we look forward to the future, we wait with eager expectation the marriage feast of the Lamb, which Christ has promised to all who believe in him. I preach to you God's word under the following theme. Christ Jesus shows forth his hospitality by instituting the Lord's Supper as a feast to be celebrated by his church. We'll see that it is a meal of remembrance, a meal of communion, and a meal of expectation. The theme of, hosp of showing hospitality runs through the whole of Luke's gospel. In it, the place of the stranger, as well as outcasts like tax collectors and sinners, feature prominently. The Jewish leaders did not properly show hospitality to strangers. They despised anyone who did not keep the law according to their high standards. They would not even talk to the Samaritans. And they roundly criticized Jesus for having fellowship with tax collectors and sinners. Luke weaves much of his gospel around occasions of fellowship at festal meals. After Jesus called Levi the tax collector to be his disciple, 
Levi held a great feast for Jesus at his house. When Jesus called Zacchaeus out of the sycamore tree, he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. Jesus' willingness to share a festal meal with these sinners is symbolic. Jesus' association with tax collectors and sinners shows that God's hospitality is now even more extravagant than ever before. Those who always knew themselves to be on the outside are invited in to share in fellowship with Christ and through him with God. In Jesus, God reaches out to the strangers and the outcasts and he invites them into fellowship with him. This becomes even more explicit in some of the parables that Jesus told. Think of the parable of the Great Supper recorded in Luke 14, the verses 15 and following. Jesus spoke of a certain man who gave a great banquet and invited many to attend. But most of the invited guests made excuses for not coming. The master of the house got angry and he told his servants to go and invite everyone off the streets and off the lanes of the city, the poor, the maimed, the lame, and the blind. He sent for the servant again to the highways and the hedges to compel people to come in. Jesus spoke this parable when sitting at table in the home of one of the rulers of the Pharisees. The parable is a prophecy of the extension of the gospel to those whom the Pharisees deemed were unworthy. The Pharisees looked down on those Jews who didn't keep the laws of purity. They despised the Gentiles because they deemed them to be unclean. Yet Jesus explains how God desires to show his mercy and grace to the outcasts and strangers, that they might enter into fellowship with him. You see, beloved, the point is that we are all undeserving. We are not worthy to partake in communion, in fellowship with our God. On the contrary, Paul says in Ephesians 2, that by nature we were children of wrath, dead in our trespasses and sins. In Romans 5, verses 8 to 10, he makes it clear that it was while we were still sinners, while we were God's enemies, that Christ reconciled us to God. God's hospitality towards us does not depend on our own worthiness. We merit nothing. Instead, God's willingness to share in communion with him is based on his grace and mercy and love. For God to show this hospitality towards us was very costly. It didn't just cost him a bit of food or a spare bed or an evening of his time. It cost him much more than that. You see, beloved, we alienated ourselves from God by our sins, we broke communion. We cut ourselves off from God and fellowship with Him. Our willful disobedience, our rebellion, put this great chasm 
between God and us. For us to be reconciled, God's wrath against our sins had to be stilled. Atonement for sin needed to be made. Blood had to be shed to pay the price for our disobedience. In the Old Covenant, the Lord instituted the Passover to help His people remember His mighty deeds in delivering them from Egypt. Each year, the people were called to sacrifice a lamb and to spread its blood on the lintel and the doorposts of their homes. When he put to death the firstborn of the Egyptians. And thus the Passover was a celebration of Israel's deliverance from slavery and death in Egypt. Christ instituted the Lord's Supper at the last Passover feast he celebrated with his disciples. This is fitting. For Christ has fulfilled the Passover feast. The Passover was a meal of remembrance and deliverance from Egypt, from slavery, from death. Yet in the Passover, God's people were not really saved from their slavery to sin or from eternal death. The Passover was just a symbol of better things yet to come, pointing forward to the Messiah who would provide true deliverance. In John 1.29, John the Baptist calls the Lord Jesus the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In 1 Corinthians 5, verse 7, Paul says that Christ, our Passover Lamb, has been sacrificed. Christ is indeed the Passover Lamb, the one who would offer his body and shed his blood to save us. He made this clear to his disciples by instituting the Lord's Supper when celebrating the Passover feast with them. Christ commanded his disciples to remember him by celebrating his death until he comes. Luke 22 verse 19 tells us that Jesus took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty five 25, that in the same manner Jesus took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. Thus we see that Christ instituted the Lord's Supper in place of the Passover. He did this on the night in which he was betrayed, so that through this meal, we might remember him. The point, beloved, is this. Just as the Passover was meant to point to God's redemptive work in the Old Covenant, so the Lord's Supper is intended to focus our attention on Christ's redemptive work in the New Covenant. For Christ has done much more than deliver us from physical slavery. He has delivered us from sin and death. He has set us free from the power of the evil one. Through his great sacrifice on the cross, Christ has paid the price necessary to deliver us from the wrath of God. By shedding his blood, Christ has restored us to God's favor. That's what we remember in the Lord's Supper, the meal of the church in the New Covenant. 
Every few months, we're privileged to sit around the Lord's table as we did this morning. Jesus Christ is the host of that table. He tells us to eat of the bread, remembering how he offered his body for our sins on the cross. He tells us to drink of the wine, remembering how he shed his blood for the complete forgiveness of all our sins. So we may share in a festal meal, celebrating God's grace and mercy and love to us, undeserving, sinful people, remembering his sacrifice on the cross, experiencing his gracious hospitality. Brings us to our second point, and it will see that the Lord's Supper is a meal of communion. Communion is a word that expresses our close unity with others. Speaks of a close association, of a relationship together. In the Lord's Supper, Christ invites us into such communion with Him. Luke 22 tells us Jesus eagerly desired to eat the Passover together with His disciples. To share one final time in a meal of close fellowship with them. In the same manner, Christ shares... Christ desires to share in communion with us when we celebrate the Lord's Supper. Christ speaks of how we share in communion with him in John 6, verses 55 and 56. He said, For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. Christ here speaks of how a participation in his body and blood causes us to be united with him. It's not the outward eating and drinking that causes this. Rather, it is sharing by faith in the death of Christ that causes us to be united with him. Jesus speaks about this unity in a unique way. He speaks about us abiding or remaining in him and he abiding or remaining in us. Our catechism makes it clear how we are to abide in Christ and he in us. It emphasizes that we are united more and more to his sacred body through the Holy Spirit who lives both in Christ and in us. It's through the Holy Spirit that Christ lives in us and we live in Him. As the form for the celebration of the Lord's Supper says, by this Spirit, who dwells in Christ as the head and in us as His members, we have true communion with Him and share in all His riches, life eternal, righteousness, and glory. The Lord's Supper is a meal of communion. For in it, the Holy Spirit unites us with Christ. He makes us share in all his benefits. In it, we are reminded of his hearty love towards us. Christ offered his body. He shed his blood for the forgiveness of all our sins. He has taken our curse upon himself 
that he might fill us with his blessing. He was forsaken by God, that we might nevermore be forsaken by him. In Christ we are restored to righteousness and life. In him we may know God as our Father, and we may be secure in his love for us, his children. Because of our unity with Christ our head, we're also bound together as members of his body. We all eat of the one bread, and so share in the life that only Christ can give us. We all drink of the one cup, and so share in the joy that only Christ can give us. The Lord's Supper is a meal of communion, for in it the Holy Spirit also unites us with one another. Through our Savior Jesus Christ, we are brothers and sisters of each other. It's not our ethnic background, our family relationships, or economic ties that bind us together. It's our common relationship of belonging to Christ that draws us together in communion with one another. As Paul says in Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, and there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. It's our unity of faith in Christ that binds us together. In the early Christian church, the believers all with one accord met in worship, shared what they had with one another, and broke bread together. Their unity with Christ was expressed in the sharing of food with one another from home to home. Hospitality is normally expressed by sharing food, by sitting down to a meal together. For eating together breaks down barriers It allows us to share fellowship. It's around the table that close bonds of friendship are developed. In the early Christian church, this developed into the practice of having what was called love feasts together. While not much detail about these celebrations is available, we know that believers in the local churches had times when they ate together and celebrated the Lord's Supper as part of their meal. In Corinth, this practice was abused when the rich did not share their abundance with the poor. Paul told them to eat at home, for their lack of hospitality towards the needy was an abuse of the Lord's Supper. As a result of Paul's warnings, the practice of celebrating the Lord's Supper as part of a common meal was discontinued. But the unity of the body of Christ remains And the apostles encouraged us to give expression to that by forgiving one another for wrongs done and being reconciled together again by loving one another as Christ first loved us by sitting together around the Lord's table as an expression of our joy of being one in Christ. Not only that, but Jesus and the apostles also taught us as Christians to practice hospitality. 
In Luke 14, the verses 12 to 14, Jesus said to the Pharisee who invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers and, or your relatives or your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, you invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you'll be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you'll be repaid at the resurrection of the just. In Romans 12, Paul commands us to love one another with brotherly affection, to contribute to the needs of the saints, and to seek to show hospitality. In Hebrews 13, we're told, let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. God's concern here is not that his angels need our care or support. Rather, we are to show hospitality to strangers that they might experience God's love through us. You see, beloved, there are many around us walking in darkness on a pathway to hell. We have brothers and sisters among us who, to a large degree, live isolated lives. We're to show hospitality to those around us by taking the time to have coffee together or to share a meal. When you give of your time, when you open your home to others, you're also more inclined to open your heart to them. One of the best ways for people to come to know the love of God is by seeing that love modeled. We model Christ's love when we welcome others, when we receive them into fellowship. For us as Christians, we get a special taste of God's love in Jesus Christ when we celebrate communion in the Lord's Supper. There we experience Christ's hospitality to us. We're given a memorial portion of his body and blood that we might share in the blessings of redemption. When we eat and drink together, we also deepen our communion as brothers and sisters in the faith. No matter how different we may be from each other, we share the most important thing. Faith in Jesus Christ. It binds us together. It unites us more than anything else in life ever could. It brings us to our final point, and it will see that the Lord's Supper is a meal of expectation. Christ has commanded us to celebrate the Lord's Supper until he comes. In the Lord's Supper, we not only remember the past, but we also look forward with eager expectation to the future. We eat and drink in expectation of Christ's return. For Christ has promised us that when he comes back, we may partake with him in the marriage feast of the Lamb. Christ instituted the Lord's Supper at the Passover feast, he earnestly desired to eat with his disciples this final time before he had to suffer and die. 
There's a reason why we call this celebration of the Passover the Last Supper. For it would be the last time Christ celebrated the feast until he comes again. In Luke 22, verse 16, Jesus said, For I tell you, I will not eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Christ also told them, saying, From now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. In the Lord's Supper, we look forward to the marriage feast of the Lamb, when Christ will drink the wine new with us in the kingdom of his Father. We may look forward to the time when we'll all be dressed in white robes, cleansed of all sin, of all impurity. We look forward to a time when all the results of sin are removed from our lives, when there will be no more pain or sorrow or suffering or death. We look forward to being with Christ, to knowing him, to sharing in full fellowship with him. We will celebrate this feast not just with Christ, but also with all those who are his, with an innumerable multitude of angels, with all the saints cleansed in the blood of Christ, with people from all tribes and nations and languages, all together sharing the joy of our Savior, all rejoicing and giving glory to God for the redemption obtained by the Lamb, all joined together with heart and mind in perfect unity in Christ our Lord and King. Yes, beloved, the Lord's Supper speaks to us of God's loving hospitality towards us, of his grace and mercy and love in Jesus Christ, of how in Christ we're allowed to partake in communion with God again. The Lord's Supper is also a call to live together in unity, to show love by practicing hospitality to strangers, to outcasts, to those who least deserve it. We're called to image God and His Son, Jesus Christ, to love each other as Christ first loved us, to forgive one another as God in Christ forgave us, to share in communion together as God has allowed us to share in communion with Him. May our celebrations of the Lord's Supper continue to strengthen our bonds, both with God and with our neighbor. Amen. In response to the gospel message, let's rise and sing from Psalm 123.